Hi, my name's Oliver Brown, and you're joining me for a session of Two Mugs in Coffee. It's a podcast where we aim to guide you, our coffee community, for the week ahead on all things sea market, shipping, logistics, and forward planning, so that you can make better buying decisions. Or just get a feel for what makes our industry tick and have a look behind the curtain. Hi, uh, I'm Oliver Brown. You're joining me for two mugs on Wednesday, the 3rd of November. Um, thank you very much. And I'm here today with a little bit of a, a difference. Uh, joining me is Eli Murray from our quality lab. He's our quality manager here at Conestacard. As promised last week, I wanted Eli to come and talk to us about quality and the challenges of, of that during COVID. Um, Eli, welcome. Great to have you with us. Thanks, Ollie. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's awesome just to be chatting to you. I think even while you were talking then, just thinking the history of uh, working alongside you, you know, in the lab, cupping table, us being able to chat every day on quality. Um, and it's a bit more challenging these days with you down in Adelaide. But, um, you know, we make do. Yeah, we but make do. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No, it's good though, you know, like uh, I think it, it's made us uh, work differently, think differently. And I think um, whilst it's always a challenge uh, to deal with change, I think there have been some massive benefits um, coming from that too. Yeah, definitely. So before we, we get into quality, I just wanted to give an update on the market and where we're at today. Um, today, uh, the C market's at 20805. Uh, you know, we're continuing to, to, to trade sideways. I'm not going to go too heavily into that because obviously it's not my area of expertise. I usually have uh, the guests to, to discuss this, but you know, what I do know is it's, it's very interesting to see that the, the, the big warehouses in the US, um, you know, they are seeing uh, lowest stocks in five years. Uh, similarly in, in Japan, the, the JCA, uh, is also seeing some of the lowest stocks that it's seen in five years. And, and the European, um, you know, warehouses are also starting to see significant decrease in, in the coffee stores. Uh, on top of that, um, yes, the, the, as we've mentioned many, many times, the weather has broken, you know, conditions are looking good in Brazil. But ultimately, if, if the producers are not selling, which is, it's what they're doing, you know, the, the, the prices are going to come down. Uh, on top of that, of course, we're seeing all of these challenges in supply and demand. We're seeing the gaps coming up. We're seeing added costs to shipping, uh, you know, to, to finance. All of this is is causing the, the market to sort of stay in that channel, uh, be above um, 200 cents. We're also seeing a new forecast coming out of, uh, sorry, not Brazil, out of Colombia, where they're, they're hinting that there could be as much as a, a 12.5 million bag deficit from Colombia alone. And, and that's obviously going to have a massive impact. And, and that has ironically been caused by too much rain for Colombia. And uh, I guess at that point, that's a, that's a good segue into quality. Um, it's been very fascinating to sort of watch all of these challenges in Colombia um, from, from the point of view of, of, you know, the managing their stock. Um, you know, the, the challenges of dealing with COVID. But now with this rain, we're seeing some interesting patterns in the humidity levels in Colombia. Um, and Eli, I think, you know, from, from your perspective, I'll get you to start a bit about, you know, general challenges, uh, that mm. you've seen in, in, uh, you know, COVID times. How do you manage your lab? But then I'll get you to dig further into, 
you know, what does Columbia look like? You know, what kind of things should you be looking at um, from an active moisture humidity perspective? Um, so that's kind of what I want to talk a bit about today. And then also um, uh, digging into how important those relationships that we have at Origin, uh, you know, how important they are and, and how you've you've sort of leveraged those to to, to keep going uh, business as usual in the Condessa lab. Mm. Yeah. Many, um, many challenges to talk about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So so starting off, um, what, you know, give us an insight like what what are the what are the big changes that that covid has brought on um in in a quality lab as, as a quality manager how have you you know worked with those how have you got around those um and and you know how have you maintained the ability to to you know be approving and 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 across quality um over the, these last two years mm. well i think you know anyone that's listening to this today can probably share in a similar you know, the challenges of just any roaster out there cupping coffee or cupping with their team or having a second opinion, um, that was pretty much wiped out, obviously, with COVID. Um, it was so challenging. I think the, the first challenge I can think of is just getting used to the good old two spoons, um, you know, putting one spoon in, pouring it onto the other, um, slurping that way. I think everyone did it differently, but that was kind of the protocols that we set up at the beginning of the first wave of COVID in Australia. Um, and so that was the first challenge, but I think as COVID really ramped up in Australia, we had to pretty much shut down our business mm. from a physical aspect. So the office was shut down. And from from a lab point of view, we could really only have one person in there. Um, mm. And that was just being safe and also the law at the time. So mm. for me, being the manager of you know the lab, I had to generally be at home all the time, which was very challenging because um, working with my assistant, Keelan, um, it was all on him. And there's a lot of pressure. You know, he's there's only one person in the lab to receive samples. That person needs to roast. That person needs to grade. They need to take all of the readings that we're always looking at, you know, the moisture, water activity, beam density of coffee, um, just looking at the spec, seeing if there's defects in there visually. And then, of course, when you're tasting, um, so there's a lot of pressure on Keelan to get through those physical days because there's only one person there. And when it comes to the cupping, because I'm kind of the one obviously making all of the quality uh, decisions and making sure the coffees are where they should be, uh, what we would have to do is Keelan would set up a cupping for me. He would have to leave the lab. Um, sometimes I would cup most often in the afternoons, sometimes into the evenings just to get through uh, a, a busy day's work. So I would get in there, cup the coffee, and it would be like a race, really, you know, just trying to get through it, particularly as, you know, when you're doing a large table. Um, just the simplicity of, you know, pouring water, um, making sure everything's done in time, everything's weighed properly. That's all those little attention, you know, to details becomes even more challenging when you're just by yourself, you know, you're a one-man band, so to speak. It's interesting. I remember uh, in, in the good old union days when, when I was working there and you had that pressure of getting through, uh, you know, the, the production race of the day. And sometimes that'd be like 60 coffees. Like, mm. I remember then, like, because that time pressure was on, sometimes when you had the time, you had this wonderful opportunity to, you know, like have the discussion, you know, with the coffee. You could really like get in there and sort of, you know, think about the flavor profile and and, you know, really like, be comfortable with with where this coffee sat did you find that having that pressure you know like 30 40 coffees a time 
you kind of you kind of stopped being able to have that headspace to really get into the quality or were you able to keep doing that yeah i think it's a bit of both i think the challenge working working as an importer uh it's slightly different to you know the roasters out there um where you know our job is just looking at the quality of coffee obviously but just um seeing basically you know how transparent that coffee is or is there defects we're kind of looking for the worst things about a coffee that's our job um looking at the health of it so i think when you you know the challenge of cupping through a huge table by yourself you've kind of got to become the machine so to speak and i think that's any good cupper is like that you have to be super analytical you have to kind of detach yourself from maybe the emotional input which is I love this coffee or I don't like this coffee that you can't kind of approach a cupping table like that when you're cupping through that much coffee. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's what I became and, you know, became the machine, so to speak. I had to just get through tables, uh, looking for anything, any issues. Is this coffee in spec? You know, often we're bringing in a lot of high commercial blenders. Um, what's the expectations? Is it fitting that expectation? Is there anything wrong with this coffee? Is there anything we should be worried about? Um, and then just moving on and just kind of, I think when you're cupping a large table, you really have to be very systematic with your approach. Mm, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. What, um, what do you think were some of the, the big changes, you know, you made and you have had to make and you are making um, regarding sort of the, the, the pre-shipment approval process? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like... Uh, has that changed at all? If so, how's that changed from your perspective? Yeah. Well, I think the traditional way of we would, you know, purchase coffee. So we would go to a farmer or an exporter and look for those qualities. We would say, great, can you send us an offer or a type sample and offer those samples? As you know, a pre, they're not, they're not milled yet. Uh, so maybe just a hand milled sample just to look at the quality. And we would cut that and say, great, this tastes really good. Let's get a pre-shipment sample so that that sample obviously is milled and then sent to us so we can see what it looks like as it's cleaned up. It's been hand sorted. Um, it's, you know, it should be at the right kind of moisture levels. Water activity should be safe. You know, looking at all that, then we'd sign off on that. Then the coffee would be sent. Sometimes we get that shipment sample before they'd send it from the port and then cupping the arrival sample. Um, and that timeline, I think that's one thing that's been so challenging this this you know throughout the whole time of COVID because mm. uh, there's yeah I guess there's many things to talk about here but just from that quality point of view we'd have to start shifting our perspective of we're not going to able to you know look at a pre-shipment sample in time because we're always racing to try and get those shipping um, you know scheduled shipping appointments trying to get containers down to the port get them on the water. Uh, that's been such a challenge for so many reasons. It's not been COVID, just COVID. It's been weather systems. It's been, uh, as you know, there's been a lot of strikes around the world in different countries. Mm-hmm. It's, been, it's been in manic, and I think everyone's really feeling that pressure. So, yeah, I, I think like, did you did, did you find sort of origin of stepped up, you know, in that space? I mean, I suspect they they've always been there, but I guess it, it's that trust that you then. Mm. Uh, been able to instill oh you know you, you've made the leap of faith and like yeah they've got this you know they're as much pros as we are exactly and i think 
there's probably quite a few oranges in the last year or two that we've really put that trust into. And that's exactly what I was going to kind of lead on to, which is we're now obviously talking to exporters and you know, groups of farmers that are actually really great cuppers. They know their quality really well. A lot of them are already certified Q graders or have different qualifications. Mm. Um, and when you've been working year in, year out with these people, you you get to a point and with all the challenges that we're faced with COVID, say, you know what, can you cut these coffees for us? Can you send us your scores? Can you show us the, you know, the green specs? What's the moisture look like? What's the water activity look like? Um, and from there, putting that trust in them, it really kind of strengthens that relationship. And I think that's big picture thinking. You know, we're always talking about, you know, that that relationship across the coffee chain, across yeah. you know, the industry. Yeah. Um, and that really, this is the opportunity to put that trust back into the people you're buying from, the farmers that you yeah. believe in, the coffees that you love. Um, yeah, and that's been, yeah, it's been... That's been really positive out of many negatives to go to our origin partners and say, you know, I think we can use Getu Beckle as a really good example in the Ethiopian team. Like Getu's a fantastic copper and he's got such a great knowledge of his own country and the coffees that grow there. Um, and saying to Getu, great, cut these coffees for us, show us those, um, you know, the health of the coffee. If it all looks good, awesome. Let's get that coffee, you know, milled and get it onto the water. Um, because as we all know, it's been such a challenge just to get coffee into Australia at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, and even once you've got it on the water, there's no guarantee that it's going to be plain sailing from there. Yeah, yeah. Which 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 leads nicely uh, leads nicely into my next question, which is sort of you know the the role that um, you know humidity, the humidity level, um, the active moisture, and bean density are playing. I know we've always been um, you know, keen on on those facts and figures. Um, mm. You know, I know that's something you always take recordings of um, when when the coffees arrive and, and there's pre-ships. Um, but give us, uh, you know, your insight into how important that's been for you, particularly from some of the more challenging origins, you know, mm. like Colombia. What have we seen, you know, mm. in that space and, and Ethiopia and, and, and Brazil? You know, like give, give us some sort of insight into, you know, why that's more important than, than ever. Yeah, well, I think if you look at historicals, looking at any country, there's kind of, as you know, there's rough expectations on what moisture or water activity should be from certain places uh, and regions and depending on the process as well. Um, so, you know, Brazil is a good example where we always see quite low moisture and uh, really safe um, water activity levels, you know, often down the low mid 9% uh, for moisture and water activities are often like high fours or low fives. Um, and those numbers are almost expected uh, year in, year out. Um, so that's a perfect example right there. If we're going to get a Brazilian all of a sudden that's at 12% moisture or above, like that's for Brazil, that's insanely high. Like that's very worrying. So, you know, if you're a roaster and you're getting a sample and you're looking at that kind of uh, quality, you're excited by it, but you can see, how high the moisture is, then that's a really good telltale sign that maybe something's not right. Now saying that it's not always like, okay, let's reject the coffee. You kind of need to dig into that further and say, oh, okay, this is a hand-built, you know, sample we've just gotten. It's super fresh. Or as we know in Brazil, 
there's certain regions of Brazil that uh, the harvest is late, like Espirito mm-hmm. Santo, uh, places like that. Um, so those things need to be considered. Um, so in saying that with Brazil, um, that's been fine. But talking of Colombia, I think that's been probably the biggest challenge this year. Um, as you mentioned earlier, that's been raining so much over there. And when you couple that much rain and moisture continually with the delays and lack of shipping containers, um, you know, just getting coffee to the port, delays at port, it's, it's wreaking havoc. Yeah. So having those figures really helps us to see where we're at with the health of that coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, because generally this year, uh, Colombia has been higher in moisture and in its water activities, nothing unsafe, but it's kind of expected with mother nature. It's just, as we know, coffee, I think you know, anyone being a roaster or, or a lover of coffee, it's like you have this preset kind of, uh, cupping profile or taste that, Oh, I remember this coffee last year. I love this coffee. It tasted like strawberry jam and, you know, yeah. a milkshake and, Next year when I get it, it's going to taste exactly the same. And unfortunately, as you know, that's not the yeah. case. It's yeah, coffee right. is a living, breathing, you know, it's a plant, it's a bean. There's so many variables. Uh, I think that's why we all love and um, also equally get frustrated at coffee yeah. uh, because it's just, it's never the same. And yeah. I think sometimes I do say that it is like coffee is a miracle, you know, a miracle kind of thing that, each year we can get coffee out of so many different countries that grow it with so many different challenges and that can arrive here and it can taste really good. I think we should all be thankful for that. But, um, yeah, looking at Colombia this year, it's been so challenging for the farmers uh, as well as the exporters, as well as the shipping mm-hmm. places. It's been super challenging. So, yeah, to tie all that in, it's it's great that when we're looking at the health of a coffee looking at moisture and water activity or something, we can say, okay, this is at safe levels. This is going to be okay. Or, okay, wow, this is super high. What's the issue? So where's it gone wrong? Yeah, if you are roasting against a coffee with a super high water activity um, and, and humidity, I mean, from, from my perspective, I'm always like, look, you know, often a higher water activity suggests, you know, we've often seen it, we've seen in Ethiopia, that great quality. You know, you often get more florals, more jam, more fruit. But then, mm. of course, the shelf life is, is that much more unstable. So my advice is always, you know, like, use the coffee as soon as you can. What mm. would you be saying to, to roasters, you know, when they're getting these challenging coffees, what mm. would you suggest they do? I think, yeah, it's a really good point. And I think my message would be to roasters, like, the more you can be organised, the more you can be pre-planning, the more you can be putting thought into you know, just looking at data, I guess, look, looking at the volume that roasters are roasting week in, week out, and they're kind of steady customers, uh, and making sure that whatever coffees they've got, they're going to use in an ample time, uh, and then be moving on to something that ideally is fresh. Mm-hmm. As you know, everything's, you know, it's, it's seasonal with coffee, and each country's a bit different. So putting that homework in and, and doing some pre-planning is super important right now. Because I think, as you said, you know, some coffees can arrive and they can be quite high on those levels, but still tasting fresh, still tasting really good. But it's a coffee that you go, okay, I need to use this now, or it's really yeah. only got, you know, a three month, six month shelf life, and yeah. then it's really going to taste flat or baggy yeah. or fall off a cliff. Yeah, 
and and to be honest, that's not the you know the worst idea. You know, only doing six month tranches because quite frankly, you don't you know in this kind of market, you don't want to be buying for like a year ahead. You know, you you want to be buying these sort of mm. you know smaller amounts. Yeah, you use it, move on to another one. Use it, move on to another one. So yeah, yeah. I guess that does that does work quite well. Oh, definitely. Um, now another thing I want to talk to you about, and I know you know you've got some some a couple of blogs I think coming up. Read the roast, the roast. Mm. Uh, how much of an impact has that had on your ability to keep them on top of stuff um, uh, during COVID? Give us a bit of a, a an mm. explanation of what the roast is, um, you know, to start off with, and then yep. and then like uh, yeah, some how, how's that benefited as well? Because I know you've had some really big positive impact. Yeah, big time. I think so with the roost and obviously you're saying that in a funny accent because I think we're both trying to uh, pronounce it properly, but it is from Norway. There's a great team over there. Uh, and I think the roost has been, you know, on the commercial market for a few years now. Uh, it's starting to really gain popularity. Uh, and I think you yourself were the one that was kind of looking at these a year or two ago and we were discussing it. Um, so for people that are listening, basically a roost is, you know, it's everything that you want in a roaster. It's a traditional barrel roaster, so it still spins and, and behaves like probably what a lot of people that are still roasting on production roasters are doing, but it's also a hybrid roaster. So it has, you know, it's a barrel, but also it's um, hot air. So it's a convection kind of roaster as well, but it's a mixture of both those two things. Um, but many more things. So basically, uh, it has that first crack uh, automated te- detection um, the t- technology. So basically, once first crack starts hitting, you can already have your timer ready to go for how much development you want on that coffee. Uh, it's got an amazing online library, and this is also um, links up into you know the web. So everyone is sharing profiles. Um, it's really easy to look at information. And it looks at a lot of variables when you're roasting, which is super exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we, we're only roasting small samples, but it's exciting to have to translate that information to uh, a roaster and their production roasts. Um, Cause in the past when we were roasting, we are only looking at a couple of things, but now we can be talking about drum speeds, you know, the air temperatures, bean temperatures, all of these different things. Um, so the roost has been amazing because it is, you can roast on it as a manual process, but it's fully automated as well. And I think that's the main thing that we can talk about today, which is buying these. We have three of them, three units. So in a way, it's like you're roasting on three barrels at once, um, but it's got that full automation capability. So that's the exciting part. Once we've roasted a sample and we've tasted it on the coffee table and said, it tastes really good, we can go back to the profile and say, okay, Let's lock that in. Let's name it. Let's say it's a nanolot from our friend Louise at Capricornio. Great. We really love this. Um, we'll save that profile and use it again for those coffees. Um, and so once you've set that up, then it's, that's the game changer basically. We can, you know, a keeler that's in the lab can be grading a coffee or taking some emails or receiving some samples whilst he's roasting. And so it's almost like you're hiring you know, bringing, getting one of these units in, it's like you're hiring a roaster, a physical yeah. person to be there all day. Yeah. Um, as you know, that we were always roasting on traditional, um, yeah. you know, drum roasters in the past and, and you, you literally are stuck to that unit all day. If you're roasting, you've got to be present. 
yeah. you can't you can you can run away for five ten seconds ten seconds and grab something or do that but you really are chained to the roaster and I think that's the game changer for us now that these machines are are making that automation process uh, such an amazing you know workflow uh, difference for us. Uh, and that ties in with COVID when you don't have anyone but one person in the lab, that person could be doing multiple things at multiple times, which is amazing. Yeah, huge game changer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah awesome. Uh, without naming names, there are other uh, um, automated roasters yeah, that you can buy. Why, why is this one, like, you know, obviously, you know, there's a lot more involvement, but, like, what really sets this apart from... You know the the comp because I know we've used a number of them in the past and yeah I know one reason is lots lots of other uh, importers actually also have them so you yeah. know like it allows you to you know as a roaster you know everyone's got a pretty you know good basis to work from um but yeah, yeah what, what other what what set what sets it apart from the others that they're on the market yeah it's a good point I think it depends what exactly what you're saying it depends what your job is like as an importer we're just looking at samples so we just want to have a clean transparent roast so we can see what the coffee is you know our the end goal for us is not to get the perfect roast to make that coffee you know to sing and make it taste so good and you know that's the roaster's job um yeah. so for us having having something that is like this hybrid um it's also got the flexibility of dose size so you can do 50 grams 100 grams 120 grams max which is really exciting for us so if, mm. as you know the challenge when sometimes you get a sample from a farmer they've only managed to send you like 100 grams or maybe less or maybe it's more but you've got to work with what you can work with so yeah um having that flexibility is amazing um but i think yeah that's that's the main thing you've got to start considering what do you want and you know for us and thinking about my past quickly, like I was a brewster and I was obsessed with looking at new technology. What was the best espresso machines, the best grinders, like, you know, the waves of different technology that was coming out to help us improve that. And I think I do recall a lot of, you know, pushback from people. Sometimes people were like, oh, everything's becoming automated. Like it's, you yeah. know, people are becoming, baristas are becoming robots. And it's like, yeah. well, actually, no, it's just improving to make a consistent you know, end result, a consistent, really good cup of coffee yeah, uh, all day, every day. And it gives yeah. you the ability then to actually talk to people or, you know, take an order from a customer. So tying that kind of thought process is with us now being an importer and roasting samples, having that automation is just changing the way that we can work and interact. It's giving us more time to be able to talk to customers or talk to each other and, and um, be able to do other things. So I think, automation you know it shouldn't be looked at as you know you know oh, it's, it's ruining kind of i guess the the mystery or the romance about coffee you can still have that but it's just yeah. it's making our lives easier and hopefully making a bit more consistent you can focus on the coffee not the machine making the coffee exactly yeah very good point yeah yeah very interesting very interesting um yeah. oh, thanks you guys uh, now we're, we're we're coming up to time, I think. But before mm-hmm. before we go, I want you to just give us an idea of what you're excited about coming up. I know that your babies are on the water, heading to us now. Um, so of course, Burundi is going to be one of your highlights. Uh, yep. But what other origins are you excited about? Yeah, oh, well, we'll first talk about Burundi because you've already mentioned that. Um, yeah, I've been obviously very lucky at Condessa to be able to go travel over there uh, several times. 
work with our sister company, Supremo, based in Belgium, and they've been running an amazing project called the Akawa Project uh, in Burundi. Um, and I think, you know, as you know, going to Origin is such an amazing experience for so many reasons. But one of the big takeaways for me is you really understand challenges. You really understand the mindset of farmers. You understand what they need over what you think they need. Um, it's amazing. So being able to go to Origin, going to Burundi year in, year out, um, has totally given me an insight into what I call, I think I said it earlier, but Burundi coffee is the miracle coffee for me. It's a little landlocked country. Um, you know, it's, if you, you only have to Google their history, politically, uh, you know, historicals there, uh, the challenges they've faced. It's been, it's, they've had a wild, wild, very colourful uh, history. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a miracle that you can get such amazing, delicious coffee out of that country um, and that we're lucky enough to be a part of that project. And so and I, I do believe we're, we're, we're at the earliest we've ever got our Burundis on the water, yeah? Yeah, and so I think that's a really good point. Every year the challenge is how can we get coffee out of that country as fast as possible? Um, because no matter how much planning you do, there's going to be challenges, and each year it's going to be different challenges. Um, and I think that Explain in itself is important as well. Go on. Pardon? Explain why getting it out of, of Burundi quickly. Well, I think that's almost like another hour conversation. Um, <laughs> Come back to this. <laughs> yeah, I think I really is. I think but the big challenges though is everything from weather, um, very old trees, uh, you know, they're not a country that is, uh, you know, they're, they're, it's a very poverty stricken country. There's not a lot of money. There's not a lot of investment into coffee, even though it's its main crop outside of tea. Um, it's, there's just, why yeah. would I prune my tree? Cause it's my biggest money maker. Why would I do that? Yeah. That, that mentality. Yeah, so they're not giant estate, you know, all of it's garden, you know, garden little plots from different farmers. Um, and it's old trees, so low yielding. Um, couple with that, the different changes each year with the coffee industry there. And that also ties into the political changes and, and they're often very unstable. Um, I won't, we won't talk about all that now because like I said, it, we could talk about that for now. Absolutely. Um, but then it's landlocked. So getting it out of the country as well is a super challenging. Uh, experience. So very excited about those coffees because they're going to get here at the end of November. Um, very excited because we've been working with the same mills year in, year out, and just seeing the um, quality improve year after year after year. And I think that's the the nicest experience working from my perspective is talking to roasters and, you know, you bring up Burundi and they're like, oh, you know, I've never really had very good Burundis. Or isn't that just all earthy potato-driven coffee? Um, and you know, the results are the exact opposite, like yeah. clean, transparent, very juicy, really different cup profiles from the one country. Uh, and now we're also getting honeys and naturals. And I think the naturals particularly are, are very excited about because they're so, so clean. They're not super funky, boozy coffees. They're really clean. They're kind of teeny. They're floral. They're tropical. Um, and often I've seen people cut them and say, oh, this is a great washed coffee. And you go, Actually, it's a natural. Um so anyway, I could waffle on about Burundi <laughs> yeah. for a long well, time. We'll come back to Burundi yeah. when they yeah. arrive. We can do a deep dive. Exactly. So I'm very excited about Burundi. I think the other one to mention how exciting has been Costa Rica again. I think yeah. each year Costa Rica just uh, 
it's like I think like the flavor playground of the world with just how much wild, amazing, interesting coffees there is there. Uh, and I think the, particularly the processing and milling, um, I think a lot of the export partners and farmers we're working with there have such a really good sound, you know, solid foundation on agronomy, on processing. So coffees there are super clean, but really interesting. There's a lot of playing around with different hybrids. Uh, as well as different processes. So Costa Rica's blown me away again this year. Um, and, you know, working with obviously several different exporters and different farmers there. That's been amazing. Um, yeah. what do you think the, the Mexicans as well from, from, mm. yeah, like I know some of those processes, you know, like the, the hydro naturals, the, the citrus, citrus sweetness, like what, like, and I know they're quite like, you know, off the wall, you know, different. Like, well, what's hmm. your view is sort of, you know, head of quality on, on those? Yeah, it's interesting. I think also this is something we could talk about for an hour. And, and I think that's those experiment processes, you know, different fermentation processes, different additions of different yeasts, um, all that. Uh, you know, it's been around for quite some time. And I think sometimes coffees hit the mark. Uh, and the end result, it tastes amazing. And then I think sometimes, unfortunately, experiments naturally go wrong and they just don't taste that interesting and all, all become quite one dimensional. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think, as you mentioned, the Mexicans and obviously the Santuario project, yeah, uh, yeah. and seeing what can be you know, the possibilities with Mexican coffees are super exciting. And I think that's a big picture. Thing right now i'm very excited about origins that probably haven't always been you know the prize winning super exciting origins that everyone's talking about at a barista competition roaster level it's about countries that have potential it's about countries that uh you know are going from strength to strength and then you know hopefully over time it'll change you know the the minds of roasters that have always gone oh, i only like these four or five different origins because obviously they're great coffees they're safe coffees to work with, but I think it's super exciting seeing what, you know, places like Mexico, uh, also, uh, one of our favorite origins, Papua New Guinea. So, yeah. so much potential there. Yeah. Um, amazing coffees and different profiles as well. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Mm. See, like, I really appreciate your thoughts uh, on that note. Uh, I think we're almost, well, we're over the 30 minute mark. Uh, I could have talked talk to you for hours uh, on this subject and quality. Thank you very much for giving me your time for joining the team. Um, yeah, very much appreciated. Thanks, Ollie. I appreciate it too. Looking forward to doing this again soon. Likewise. And of course, if you've got any comments you want to make or ask any questions, please do so. Um, please subscribe and uh, yeah, keep on engaging. Thank you ever so much, everyone. Till next week. Bye.